0: Good morning, everybody. Thanks. I like that participation. All right, well, for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Kendra Murray. And I'm going to try not to trip. But if I do, it wouldn't be the first time. Um, For those of you who don't know, I have been serving for the last couple of years as the next gen director at Restore, uh, which means that I'm usually spending the morning with your kids, um, which is my favorite thing in the whole world. It's awesome to be here with you this morning. Um, To be able to participate in the marriage series is very humbling for me um, because I love marriage, but it's also really a big deal to talk about. Um, It's a sacred thing. And I usually prefer to be more behind the scenes, which is why the next-gen director is a perfect job for me, because I can just hang out with your kids. And if something goes wrong when I'm teaching your kids, I can just, like, say, hey, let's build a volcano, or let's run around and scream, or let's go run around the hallway for a second, or anybody need a bathroom break? So I can't do that today, even though if you need to use a bathroom, go ahead. Um, A couple things you can expect from me um, are to see a real person who's nervous talking in front of people, because... I don't do it very often. Um, Another thing that you can expect is corny jokes, and you don't have to laugh, except for my husband, and I know what your laugh sounds like, so. Um, Also, uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced that feeling where you've said yes to something, and then, then you realize that you said yes to it. And usually I realize it when I'm trying to fall asleep at night. And you know that emoji with the eyes bulging out? That's what's been happening to me at night when I realize that I'm preaching. So here I am, and we're going to do it, regardless of how much sleep I got last night. In all seriousness, I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to talk with you. I feel like God has really put a lot in my life in the last couple of years that have equipped me to be able to talk. And the only way I can do it is through Jesus. So if here we are, if you're new to Restore, this is week four of the Contender series, our marriage series. We try to do it about once a year. I hope that you have gained some wisdom in the last few weeks, even though you've probably had some difficult conversations with your spouses. Um, If you've been taking in what God is teaching you, I'm sure that there have been difficult conversations as you've tried to grow closer to each other and the Lord. Um, I'm excited to talk about marriage. I'm personally a big fan of marriage. Corey and I have been married for two years. We celebrate our anniversary on October 29th. Um, being married to Corey is really fun. It's life-giving. Um, one of the favorite things, I think both of our favorite thing about marriage is that we can do double the amount for God's kingdom, and I always said that when I was single, and then I realized that when doing double the amount, it meant you worked harder, so it's been a long two years, um, but we have been able to do a lot more together than we could do separately, and I love being on a team with him. Marriage has also been really challenging for me as an individual um, because I've never needed more grace anywhere than I have in my marriage. And it's not because of any fault with Corey, because there aren't many except for snoring. He does snore. It's mostly because of faults within myself. And I had a friend in college tell me once, marriage is so sanctifying. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's so deep, as I Googled sanctify because... I'm a know-it-all, and I also didn't know what it meant. And I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, well, I'll pray for you. Um, And then I got married, and I was like, oh, marriage is sanctifying. Um, Because when something is sanctified, it's set apart, it's dedicated to God, and marriage has caused me to have to dedicate myself back to Jesus every single day. Um, In the moments where I have invited people over for dinner, and I forgot to tell my husband hey, people are coming over for dinner, and we're cooking for them. As they drove up, I realized. um, In the moments when I decide that having an attitude is more important than having simple and sweet time with him after a long day, usually when I just decide I want to be right and not move on from it, that doesn't happen very often. Um, Or when bills are forgotten, and they show up in the mailbox with a late fee, and both of us want to blame each other when... We should have both been paying attention. Those are all moments when I've had to bring myself back to Jesus because my marriage is worth more than being right and being angry. And, um, you know, I'll try to be better about telling you that people are coming over for dinner. So today we're going to talk about how our identity in Christ changes our marriages and really all other relationships for the better. Before we dive in, I want to tell you a little bit more about my life and my family, um, Corey and I moved to North Carolina two years ago. Um, I moved down two days after we got married. It was awesome. Now, it's been an adventure ever since. And while we've been married for two years, really, some really important stuff to tell you is, is my life before marriage. So I grew up in Virginia. I'm the youngest of three siblings, one of which is my twin. Um, she's my best friend. I lived 20 minutes away from Corey my whole life and I met him when I was about 16. Didn't even have my license yet. Fun fact, my twin sister ran over his foot with a vehicle <laughs> when she didn't have a license, so good job. Um, <clears throat> one thing to know about me is that I'm a perfectionist. I am a people pleaser, and I'm a know-it-all. I'd like to say that I'm in the recovery phase of all three of those things, but some days are better than others. Um, I have spent most of my life battling where to find my identity. Growing up, it quickly became trying to be good at sports. I am not good at sports. Um, But I played softball until I was 13. And so at some point, I realized I was just the team clown. I was the silly one. No one really took me seriously. My sister was the all-star, and that was great. But I decided to move on from that after I fell one too many times or rolled my ankle. I was not an all-star. It transitioned into trying to be the best Christian that I could be. And these aren 't bad things it 's not good bad it's not bad to be good at sports it 's not bad to try to be a good Christian, but my whole life was wrapped up in these things, and I was so focused I had laser vision on these things um, so trying to be a good Christian, um, also trying to be a straight A student which I was pretty good at but it was exhausting because it's just it never ends um, that culminated into struggling with an eating disorder in high school and college. I spent years just being so self-centered on what I was going to eat, what I wasn't going to eat, how much I weighed. That stuff is exhausting. Um, And thankfully, I'm in the recovery end of that. But I just was on this wheel, like a hamster running on a wheel, trying to find where I felt like I mattered, and constantly feeling like I was coming up short. And so fast forward to coming to 2015, fast forward to 2015. I had spent a year after college working in an awesome job that I loved. It was with a humanitarian aid organization. I was traveling, I was doing really meaningful work, and I had moved back home to raise support for that year. And all of a sudden, it's like the blinders came off. And I was very aware of crippling anxiety that I had kind of grown accustomed to. I just felt like this is the way my cross to bear. And I never, it might sound silly, but I never considered that my life could be without anxiety. I never considered that I could have a more abundant life with less weight on my shoulders by just working through it, going to therapy, talking about my anxiety. I just thought, hey, this is what's wrong with me. God very vividly showed me, you are not going to get away from this until you go through it. The only way out is through. So I ended up quitting my job moving back in with my parents at 23 and entering into a season of uh, unemployment. All of which came to the equivalent of rock bottom for someone like me who likes to know what's next. I like to be able to tell people my big plans and I like to have a job. Um, It was just very difficult to be in that spot. Also, right around that time, my path crossed with this guy that I met when I was 16 that I had a crush on when I was 16, and just our lives went different ways. So within a year and a half, Corey and I were married. um, And so in that season, I didn't understand why God would bless me with a relationship while I also felt like I had nothing to offer. I don't know if you've ever felt like you had nothing to offer, but it's a pretty bad feeling. And I just felt like, why? Why now? I have nothing to offer this man and over and over again, God was saying, do you get it yet? You're never going to have enough until you let me be enough. And so that was a season of me having to learn that not only was I enough for this awesome man that loved me, but I was, more importantly, I'm enough for God, um, regardless of what my job is or what if I know what's going to happen in the next month. So as I was preparing for today, God placed on my heart this idea that the identity crisis never ends. I believe that we see marriage as this finish line, this place that we arrive at, a prized possession, the antidote to all of our problems. I think that we see our identity as the same thing, something that we arrive at, finding ourselves, understanding who we really are, knowing our true selves. It's not the end goal that we arrive at after years of self-assessment and magazine Questionnaires—it's—it's it's not something that we arrive at. As Christ followers, it's where we start. It's our launching pad that's going to get us through the rest of our life. Our identity in Christ is where the, is where we begin as Christians. So we're going to dive into the book of Ephesians today. If anybody needs a Bible, um, Gina can bring one to you. If you just raise your hand, she can bring one to you. Before we get into the word, let's think for a minute. Where do you find your identity? Are you a people pleaser like me, where your confidence wavers every mistake you make or every time you feel like you're not doing good enough? Is it in motherhood? Do you find your identity in the job that you have outside of your home? Is it the rank that you have in the Marine Corps? If you aren't sure where your identity lies, think about it this way. How do you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is so-and-so and and I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a mechanic. A therapist, a staff sergeant, a salesman. Another way to figure out where your identity comes from is to ask yourself this, what's the one thing in your life that has the potential to ruin your day? Where does your confidence come from? Is it the quality of your marriage? Is it the quantity of years that you've been married? Do you find yourself boasting about how long you've been with your spouse and how great your marriage is? Again, I want your marriages to be great, but is it what defines you? Is it your salary? How clean your house is? The type of car that you drive? How happy you're able to keep your wife? And think about this when your confidence wavers, what or who is the culprit? When is the last time that you introduce yourself with, Hi, my name is, and I'm a child of God? Not, hi, my name is Kendra, wife of Corey, dog mom of two fur babies who count as children, by the way. Sister of Shelby, next-gen director of Restore Church. Hi, my name is Kendra, and I'm a child of God. What would change in your life, your marriage, your friendships, if you thought of yourself and your spouse and the people that you care about as children of God? I'm going to pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to share your word with Restore, with our church family. It is amazing to be a part of this family, and I pray that you would have our ears open and our eyes open and our hearts available to hear what you have for us this morning. We love you. So as I mentioned before, we're going to hang out in Ephesians today. Ephesians is an awesome book of the Bible, and I'm going to try to not keep you here all day. Um So what does it mean for us to find our identity in Christ? My goal this morning is for each of you to leave here with a better understanding of what God says about you and that you'll be able to take that information and implement it in your marriage and the lives of your kids and in your relationships outside of your family. So we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. As Roger says, follow along on the screen, but you can't take it home. So grab a Bible if you don't have one. I'm going to follow along on the screen with you, starting in verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So the first thing I want... Wait, I'm not done. He made... Go ahead. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under christ so we're going to am i done okay i thought so the first thing that i want to tell you today is that you are chosen i want you to think to yourself i am chosen And we're going to look back at verse 4. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. When we make a choice, it's a conscious thing. It's not an accident. Um, As much as maybe we would like to think that our choices are accidents sometimes, they're not. Um, We can regret our choices, but we consciously make choices. And God chose you to be his child. And we can see in verse 4 that it wasn't a rash or an impulsive decision. It was done before the whole world was created. He had plenty of time to change his mind if he wanted to, and he did not. It was his plan all along. And in, the, in verse 5, the New Living Translation says it like this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Sometimes our choices do not give us great pleasure, um, like deciding to pay off a debt instead of buying a new car, or deciding to cut out carbs. Those are from the heavens. Um, (laughs) Deciding to take up running when we're really not, I'm not good at running, but deciding to do things that hurt. Those choices do not give us great pleasure. They might later, when we can fit back into the jeans from college or when we see the result of our choices. But in that moment, they are not really desirable, for all of us, at least. But not only did God choose you, but he was delighted in his choice. He doesn't just delight in those who are without fault, because really he would just be delighting in himself if that were the case. All of us have blame. Um, None of us are perfect and we all make mistakes, but he delights in you no matter what faults you feel like you have. The second thing I want you to know um, is that you're forgiven, and I want you to think to yourself, I am forgiven. In verse 7, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I'm not sure at what point I finally learned what forgiveness was. I think I was in my twenties before I really understood what forgiveness looked like and understanding the concept of forgiveness has been one of the biggest blessings in my marriage than ever, than anything else. Forgiveness means moving on from the transgression, starting over, turning onto a new page, cleaning off the slate. When Christ looks at you, he sees a clean slate. He doesn't see the mistakes you made an hour ago. He doesn't see what you did a couple nights ago that your spouse doesn't know about. He doesn't see the frustration that you had with your child because they just wouldn't pick up their Legos. He doesn't see those. He sees a child that he loves. Can the same be said in our marriages? Do we look at our spouses with a clean slate every day? Or do we hold against them what we just can't let go of? When we look at our spouses, do we see a person that, 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 I, that we love? Or do we see that person that just can't get it right? That person that I loved once but just has made too many mistakes? Do we look at our spouse and see someone that's never going to be fixed? Forgiveness is necessary, it is not something that you can decide not to have if you want a marriage that is pleasing to God. It is necessary for safety and confidence and security. How blessed would our marriages be if we truly forgave each other? The next passage that we're going to look at is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're going to read through it again and then we'll unpack it together. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The third thing that I want you to know today is that you are renewed. Think to yourself, I am renewed. Pause. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. God took something that was dead, like D-E-A-D, dead, roadkill on the side of the road, gone. And it's not coming back. Maybe you've noticed this theme in the book of Ephesians so far. It stood out to me because it's the opposite of, what, of where my grain is. I don't, That's not right, but it's okay. God is showing us in Ephesians over and over again that being saved has nothing to do with us. The idea um, that we are welcomed into the kingdom of God has nothing to do with anything we could have done. But God, who is rich in mercy, does have the power to bring things back to life. He does have the power to restore things that are broken. And he has the power to renew things that have nothing left in them. Maybe your marriages are like that right now. Maybe you're in a season where you don't feel like there's anything left. Or you feel like the batteries run out and there's no way to recharge it. But... I want you to hear, if you hear anything else, hear this, that if anything can renew your marriage, it's not not Dr. Phil, it's not your friends telling you what you should or shouldn't do, Um, it's not ultimatums, God is the only thing that's going to be able to renew the brokenness in our lives, especially in marriage, and I get it, Um, I'm a selfish person naturally, and so Marriage has really pushed me to just get over myself. And there are times when I can see brokenness around me that I feel like, God, are you going to fix that? Are you going to restore that marriage? And he will. And he's the only one that can. But you as an individual, you are renewed. And the only one that can do that fully is Jesus. The New Living Translation of verse Of chapter 2 verse 8 says it like this, God saved you by, by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. So when I think about the fact that I'm a child of God, saved by grace, that I did not deserve, the only response, the only rational response is worship. Not only am I a child of God, but my husband is also. When we learn where we stand with Christ and how we got in that position and how Christ feels about us, regardless of the mistakes that we make, our response has to be worship in all areas of our life, especially our marriages. And we can't worship God and hate our spouse at the same time. Now, I realize that most of us would probably say that we don't hate our spouse, but before you stop listening... Think, that, think about the fact that hate can take multiple forms in our marriages. We can refuse to forgive, continue to criticize, pass ongoing judgment, and consciously condemn all forms of hate. Thankfully, God doesn't box me in and label me the person I was before I became a Christian. He doesn't box you or your spouse in either. If we are not identified by our past, our spouses shouldn't be either. And God is not only a God of renewal, but he is also a God of hope. Now, this does not mean that accountability does not have a place in your marriage, because it absolutely should, and it needs to have a place in your marriage. Someone outside of your marriage needs to know the things that you're struggling with as a couple and individually. Because it's really easy to become so isolated in your marriage that you might tell your spouse everything, but one day you realize, no one else knows what I'm struggling with. And at that point, we've completely lost sight of our community around us. But. We need to have difficult conversations, and there needs to be wise counsel coming from outside your marriage to hold you accountable. So please don't think that I'm, I'm saying that accountability does not have a place. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And so you absolutely need to hold each other accountable as your spouse, but also get that from outside of your marriage as well. The last section in Ephesians that we're going to look at this morning is Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 22. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles there, bringing two groups together. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The fourth thing that I want you to hear today is that you are included. I want you to think to yourself, I am included. Verse 19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. Because of what Christ has done for us, we are members of God's family. While we were once on the outskirts of acceptance because of our sins, and as a result, our separation from God, we are now fully embraced by God Himself, hemmed into the family tree of the kingdom. I am chosen, I am forgiven, I am renewed, and I am included. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this information? What do we do with this knowledge where, about where our identity comes from and how it can be implemented in our marriage? Think back to those defining traits that you might have um, Agreed with me there when I said, you know, if your salary or your rank or the car that you drive or whether you work outside the home. Think about those defining traits. And just keep those in your mind for a second. (coughs) In order for our families to thrive, we can't base the value or the condition of our marriage on those dead ends your job, your rank, your income level, the intimacy in your marriage, the lack of intimacy in your marriage, the number that pops up when you step on the scale, how much your spouse smiles at you when you they come home from work or you come home from work. All of those things matter, but they're not the only thing that matters. They're not the thing that matters. In order for our families to thrive, we have to base the value condition of our marriage on one thing that will never ever change and that's where your value is in Christ and that's how much you are valued in Christ. Easier said than done. I'm going to share a few different ways that I have struggled to keep my identity in Christ in marriage and this is probably the most vulnerable part of the sermon because it's pretty scary to say it out loud A couple different things. Um, As I said before, I've always struggled to find my identity in doing things correctly, doing things right the first time, not needing anyone's help. And then I married someone who's pretty much good at everything. And I was like, whoa, I'm terrible at this. Um, That's not a self-deprecating statement. I am thankful every single day that I am married to Corey because There is so much less of a burden on my life because of him. But it also left me feeling like I was completely inadequate. And so in those moments where I felt like, man, you forgot to say that thing out loud again. Like you had a whole conversation in your head and he was sitting right there and you didn't tell him. In those moments, in the moments where I don't cook dinner when he's at work or when I forget to do laundry In those moments, I have to remind myself, it's not where my identity comes from. My value does not diminish because I don't do enough chores at home. Um, As I also mentioned before, I struggled with an eating disorder for a long time. And while I'm in the recovery phase of that, it's kind of like being an alcoholic. It never goes away. Um, So every single day is a conscious choice to make a healthy decision to love myself and respect my body because it's a temple of God. That being said, I gained 60 pounds after, in the first year of marriage. Not what I was expecting in the honeymoon period of life, you know? Um, and so that was a huge stressor for me to all of a sudden be in this place where I've, I've, I weigh more than I've ever weighed. And you have these expectations as a woman to just, I don't even know. I can not even tell you what the expectation is. I just wasn't meeting it. So that was really hard because I was not in a place that I thought I would be in my first year of marriage. But that's okay, because, number one, it's a constant process. Um, We're never going to, while we are never going to fully arrive at where we, we might not ever fully arrive at where we want to be, but because of Jesus, we are right where we're supposed to be, regardless of how hard that you've worked. You are right where you need to be. You don't have to work any harder for him to love you. The third thing is kind of going along with the first thing I said as far as just trying to be good, a good wife, and along with him doing things a lot better than me, which I appreciate, thank you, um, along with that, I had some crippling depression kind of creep into my life that I never knew was there before because anxiety was always the bigger thing, and then all of a sudden, I'm crying in my bed at night and have no energy. And I'm not motivated. And so that meant that Corey carried a heavier burden than I wanted him to. And that meant that he was doing more that I thought I was supposed to be doing as a spouse. And that happens. I'm sure that you have experienced seasons in your marriage where one person has to carry a heavier load than the other. And that's okay, Because at some point, it's going to come back around and you're going to play the opposite role. And you're going to be the one carrying the weight. But that was really difficult for someone who tries to be good at everything. The identity crisis never ends. Finding our identity in Christ is where we begin. It is not the place that we arrive at. And it's never been about how hard we work anyways. And so I would encourage you to stop trying to arrive at this place where you find yourself and revel in the fact that You already can know who you are based on what's in his word. So let's just think for a minute what we can do that will change, what can we do today that will change our marriages and our relationships with others for the better tomorrow. One thing that you can do is remind yourself who you are in Christ, whether it's with post-it notes, a dry erase marker on your mirror, a dry erase board in your kitchen, A cell phone reminder, set an alarm, tell yourself you're beautiful. Um, Set an alarm, tell yourself that you're not defined by whether you got that, what's the word when you get a higher paying thing? We need to, yeah, set a reminder and tell yourself, it doesn't matter if I get the promotion or not, my value isn't gonna change. Email yourself, do whatever you have to do. Put it on your, on your windshield thing when you go outside. Remind yourself, fill your house with scripture that's telling you who you are. Spend more time in the word. Sit down with your spouse and read what God says about you. It's right there. We don't even have to wonder. It's right in front of us. The second thing that I would encourage you to do is remind your kids who they are in Christ. Our identity is not somewhere that we arrive at, and so your kids don't have to get to a certain age before they can understand who they are in Christ. Put put notes in their lunches. Tell them as soon as they wake up that they are chosen, they are renewed, they are forgiven, and they are included. If they go to school and get left out of every single game of dodgeball, I don't even think they play it anymore, but if they go to school and get left out of every single game of whatever they do in gym class, at least they can know that they are included and God's family. Fill your home with artwork of scripture. Work together. Do things with your kids. Read the Bible with them. Remind them who they are in Christ. Because when, as they grow older, that is going to be a solid rock that they can stand on as they encounter the difficulties of teenage years and college and marriage. The third thing I want you to do is remind your spouse of who they are in Christ, which might be the hardest because it means telling them the truth and it means letting go of things that you're upset about and it means having grace and and deciding to forgive. So intentions are high and you might have to have a difficult conversation or maybe you're not a morning person and you don't want to talk to anybody. Decide to tell your spouse who they are in Christ. Your spouse is chosen Your spouse is forgiven, your spouse is renewed, they're included, and they're a child of God. Imagine what would change in our hearts, our marriages, and our families if we were surrounded by the truth of what God says about us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this family that we have. Thank you for the opportunity to speak your word this morning. I pray that it is something that even at least one person needed to hear. I thank you for the way that you love me and for the way that you bless marriages. I thank you for the truth that there is always hope when you are in the picture. We love you. Amen.